like literally thousand years of co-evolution we didn't figure out how to like help breed that out like that's the craziest thing about cats is like we've lived with them for so long and that must have been like early 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 like i'm talking maybe pre-language human times that we're like this thing is just gonna piss and shit near me whenever it likes i submit to my master there is nothing i can do about that Every other aspect of its life I will control, but it will just be a filth machine in my presence. It's, ugh. How have we not figured it out? It's a fair question. I do not know the answer. Oh, God, that's not even nerd shit. I guess it's nerdy to have, like, two guys on a podcast talking about cat smells. So with that in mind, hi, my name is Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. I promise it's a show where we don't normally talk about cat smells. We usually talk, and will talk, about the television series The Big Bang Theory. Yes, the cat piss of sitcoms. It really... Oh my... Kyle! Kyle! I was not in any way trying to set the alley-oop, but that is... That is stone... That is solid fact. It is... It stink... Like, will forever remain on television because it was put there in the first place and it stuck around for so long. But and it like, has the same shamelessness about it. It really does. Like, you know, it's we, we, we goof around a lot. I'm, I'm really want to get into the episode because I think this, well, you know, I was going to say this is a real good cat pee episode. But it's actually, I found it relatively unoffensive. I found myself getting annoyed because I think there's been a string of these lately of a wildly out of whack a b plot structure um i guess like scaling of importance um, the a b plots in these ones seem to take up equal opportunity maybe the b plot even more so which then makes me wonder is it and if this is all dry we should actually get into it but uh, kyle um before i start describing the episode any uh highs lows thoughts uh, you wanted to get into now i will say without doing the rating thing that i I did like this one, but it, I, I liked it in that same way where it's like I've stopped expecting this show to be funny or interesting, so I kind of zone out watching it. So it took me like an extra 10 minutes to watch this episode because there were a couple of moments where I realized that like, oh, the dia- like the timing and the dialogue beat that just occurred is something that I actually have to like go back and pay attention to to understand the way people are reacting right now. And that was so unusual to me <laughs> that... um. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I just missed it. Why is this demanding attention from me all of a sudden? Yeah, it's like you're driving on the highway, you know, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize this overpass was closed today. Shit, I have to, I have to find a place to make a U-turn. Well, and this reminds me, like, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about this as like being something that is fundamental to bad movie hangs, but what you're saying just about like the ability for it to keep your attention, I think, is the reason, one of the big reasons that like getting together and watching bad movies is fun is because if you miss something, you're probably fine. They're usually not tightly crafted enough that, you know, if you miss any one element, that the puzzle is incomplete. Uh, But it is a nice change, on the other hand, with something that's supposed to just go straight through your brain without a thought. Occasionally makes you go, oh, wait, something's happening here. So, yeah, uh, good. (laughs) So with that, oh, and also, well, we'll get into it. Describe the episode, Nick. All right. Well, uh, intrepid listeners. Oh. I will will just say this without getting – this episode also contains one of the single filthiest insinuations of any episode of Big Bang Theory. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. 
it's not in any way like it's it's not on my internal scale in any way offensive but for a big bang theory joke and particularly a sheldon joke i thought my fucking face was gonna melt i was like where is this coming anyway so yeah we'll get to it you're right <laughs> and it's a uh, this is season six episode eight uh the 43 peculiarity which i did think about the the movie uh the number 23 when i was watching this but or is it 28? Whatever. The one with Jim Carrey where he fucking... It is the 23. Yeah. I, I wonder if there was any inspiration there. But anywho, yeah. The 43 pe- peculiarity. And uh, we've got two very well-defined A-B plots here. I guess I appreciate that much at least. And um, B plot is how we start is because uh, the gang are all hanging out. Uh, well, the boys anyway. This is pennies in this, but I just I didn't think about it until now. There's no Bernadette or Amy in this episode. They're gone. So the dudes are hanging out at the university cafeteria when uh, Wallowitz is like, hey, Sheldon, every single day at work, I guess, uh, leaves from 2.45 to 3.05. He just disappears. It's not on his schedule. And because we can't leave our friend alone for 20 fucking minutes a day, (laughs) have to go on an investigation to figure it out. And that investigation leads nowhere. The whole (laughs) B-plot is... Wallowitz and and Raj getting together. And you know what? I like when they're together doing their own things. I think that the two of them are a good comedy pairing. But all they do is follow Sheldon to a a basement office or storage room, whatever it is. And later on, when he's not there, they get in. They see on a chalkboard the number 43 written. And then they spend the rest of the episode... Uh, tearing their hair out, trying to figure out what the meaning of the number 43 is, and getting absolutely nowhere. It does end with, um, they do eventually put a uh, a camera in the room to see Sheldon when, uh, you know, unawares. And Sheldon, who apparently is a master video editor, uh, does, he, he somehow like ma- manipulates fake footage of him creating he, at the beginning of the episode and this is just like an offhand thing he's talking about well, how he like, wants, i guess it's not it's like a Chekhov's gun reference you're yeah sorry I, it's not an offhand thing it's a perfect episode that completes a loop it's he mentions how he wants to make a frisbee sized wormhole and then the video shows him making what is <laughs> sorry imdb trivia goose much larger than a frisbee shape sized wormhole and it's yeah and then he's like, ah, I a, gotcha. A, a portal to ostensibly a, another dimension. Yes. And the number, the number on the chalkboard is the number of dimensions that he's peered into before. Yes. And then, of course, it's all fake. Ha ha, gotcha. And the big B-plot conclusion is that that is his record he's been keeping of successful hacky sacks. And so he's just been going on there 20 minutes a day to hack a sack. Hacking sacks, everybody. Big... Big revelation. Plot A, uh, technically more substantive, but less attention focused on it. But not so little that like it's actually it's good. Maybe maybe it's a good balance. I think maybe the B plot just bummed me out as the issue. But the A plot is Leonard Penny officially in a relationship, clear as day now. And Penny mentions that from her college, uh, she has made a study buddy. Oh, and it's a boy. Oh, and it's a boy with a British accent, presumably who is also British. And he freaks out. He's super jealous. He kind of spies on her when he's over, the, 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 the study buddy's over studying one day, follows him out of the building 
to say like, oh yeah, her boyfriend's crazy. You gotta watch out. He's all in a gang. Penny sees this and is like, you insecure motherfucker. Get over it. That leads to a fight during which, in frustration, Penny says, oh, you drive me crazy. I love you. They both acknowledge that's the first time she's ever said that she loves him. And that is... And that was, just to be clear, that was the character beat where I was like, wait, what just happened? Because she's like in the middle of that... She's like in the middle of that. She's like, you know, I love you. So why are you like this? And then there was like a pause. And I was like, wait, what? The audience isn't doing its weird automatic laugh track thing. Something important happened there that I missed. And of yeah. course, they... <laughs> there's a reaction that is evoking any other emotion. What has happened here? Yes. Um, uh, yeah. And then that results in both of them kind of like panicking and fleeing from each other. Acknowledging that it happened, not saying it's a bad thing, but apparently not being ready for it. And that is more or less the conclusion of the A-plot, but what's this? A new thread? A new challenger approaches? You remember Alex, uh, Sheldon's intern, who for one episode showed up and was hot, and that was the only reason she was there? Well, she's back, and she's still hot, and now she's like, oh, Leonard, I'm going to hit on you really aggressively, and you're too dumb to notice, and so... Yeah, apparently while Penny and Leonard seem to be in a totally stable relationship that they are both struggling to kind of explore the boundaries of, there is trouble a-brewing. Oh, what's going to happen next time? Oh, why Why is... I Okay, so that's the whole episode. And to transition, just do a comment about Leonard, not the specific episode. God, I just find him so unappealing in every way. And so, like... There is this joke where Alex, uh, the intern, is like, oh, man, ladies are probably hitting on you all the time because you're so cute and funny and you probably don't even see it. And he's like, no, I really don't. You know what, Leonard? Neither do I. Sorry, I'm not a good bro. I'm not going to be there to back you up because you're you're whining all the time and you're you're, you're not. You, I, I see no growth from you that shows that you are in any way leaning into Penny's interests. If anything, you just kind of, oh, anyway, so. Yeah, literally, I mean, that's a, so this is a, this is a good sort of meta point about the arc of their relationship on the show. I, I mean, I guess we have, I hadn't thought about it this way before, but literally the only thing he ever did that was supposedly like, so is he basically like he finally mustered up the courage to ask Penny out. Like he, he didn't actually do anything else to make himself like, to establish that, I mean, they went on a couple of dates that theoretically went well, I guess. But, like, yeah. we don't ever actually see them together, or outside of very brief moments, we don't ever actually see them together being, like, uh, you know, interesting or happy or, you know, having a good having good chemistry or camaraderie or even sort of the yeah. witty banter that he has with, like, the other bros. Well, and particularly, like, compared to the other coupled up people in the show... Like, they, you never enter a scene where they're just kind of, like, hanging out, being comfortable with each, with each other around anyone else. It's like, it, whenever their relationship does come up, there always has to be a plot point to it. And I don't, it's like, it's not a will-they-won't-they they thing, because it's an obvious they-they-will they thing. It's just kind of like a, I don't know, I, I guess it's a little interesting the way that near the end of the episode, it's part of Leonard's kind of, like, vulnerability meltdown is he cracks and is like it's really hard basically dating a hot person (laughs) he's like like, wherever we go like guys hit on you constantly even when i'm standing right next to you and that's a lot to withstand 
Um, and they don't really address that, but like that is actually, I think, an interesting character thing that'd be interesting to see more of. Is like, and you know, maybe this criticism isn't fair because now it's like, oh, this is what I wish was in the episode and wasn't. But if we ever had episodes where Leonard was out with Penny, and we actually see that, and then like the conflict is, oh, Penny does get a lot of attention. Does she treat like Leonard respectfully in those situations, or is she like so unawares of what it's like to be an attractive person that it, you know something like that? But instead, it's it's always like, oh God, the status of the relationship itself is in jeopardy when like the premise of the show itself is that they're gonna get together, <laughs> they're gonna stay together. So ugh. yeah, that's um, I mean now that I hadn't. Uh... As you were saying, like, even in this episode, the way that they start, like, the scene that begins with them together, it's like, how was your day? And then it's like, oh, great, I did some incredibly obscure technobabble thing. And, you know, the whole joke is that Penny doesn't understand what he did with his day. And that's like, and then we pivot to the plot. And she's like, okay, well, that sounds fun. I'm glad, but I don't actually know what you're talking about. And that's like, that can't be their their relationship can't be how was your day? Well... I'm going to tell you in a way that you can't understand and you're just going to be here and think I'm interesting even though you don't know. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, you're right. Because, like, it doesn't make sense because at some point we start asking, what do you actually have in common? (laughs) Like, what is it? What are the things that you enjoy about each other? And that's a pretty common thing in relationships. Like, I've been in relationships like that where there's this idea that you know, just being together is theoretically what you wanted or it makes sense. And then you actually start spending time together and it's like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> like the the idea was nice. But like in the day to day, you know, maybe that doesn't work. And with Leonard and Penny, it looks that way. <laughs> it's like like the sense that like this is our relationship and it's a normal thing, you know, that has ups and downs is not present with them. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's so weird. Wow, but also the uh, British guy is perfectly nice, but also he is young and handsome. And I, I think, like, even though Leonard is, his anxiety is annoying, it's like, it's a reasonable anxiety. It's like, yes. he, he knows where he stands. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, you know, what are you, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I get that. I mean, that, yeah. that fear handling, I mean, all you can, it's like, you're right. Healthy people feel that kind of insecurity and jealousy, and they just figure out how to deal with it without making their partners making it their partner's problem. And supposedly, by the end of the episode, Leonard has come to that realization. But like the whole way he goes through dealing with that is very sort of artificial and and not very funny. It's both it's both not realistic and also not interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think the the funniest part of it to me, which it, it doesn't end up ultimately impacting the episode, I guess. So I kind of skipped over it, but it is uh, it's, it's Leonard when he's spying on Penny's study date. And when I say spying, all I mean is that, like, from inside his own apartment, he is trying his hardest to peer from peephole through peephole and to listen in on whatever's happening. So real sicko shit. And the whole time... He's, he's like, uh, children's there working on whatever else doesn't matter because he doesn't give a shit. And that is the best part of the episode to me is Leonard is like, ah, oh, God, I'm kind of anxious. Like, who knows what he's like over there? Like, if like 
if he's more attractive than me, what's going to happen? And Sheldon is like, yeah, you should be worried. Like, assuming you are even of attractive, I mean, uh, average attractiveness, like, I don't know. That's that's like 50% of people who are potentially more attractive than you. That doesn't give you good chances. And that's like, oh, but I have other strengths. And Sheldon is like, yeah, sure, but not in height, athleticism, charmingness, social skills, you know, all that. And uh, it's... Plus, plus... You, you have to fill in... Plus, what if he knows hypnotism? Oh, okay, yeah. That's, I think, <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be the transition, but this is where it happens. Oh, God. Yeah, Sheldon. Strap in, boys. Sheldon says, well, what if he's a hypnotist? And Leonard is like, a situation too preposterous to even entertain Sheldon. <laughs> Sheldon, like, doesn't drop it. And instead he's like, just imagine he hypnotizes her into thinking that she's a chicken and then like gives like a long hard stare before doing his fucking chicken head motion and this is yeah Yeah. his exact words because they're burned in my brain are like you know he's having the time of his life and she just thinks she's a chicken bobbing for a peck of corn and it's like that is not in any way an over-the-top upsetting joke that is a pre-run-of-the-mill dick-sucking joke. But when Sheldon... <laughs> yeah, how does Sheldon know that that's alien, a thing? It's, it's, yeah, what, how does he know that that's a thing? Or does is he this, know? What if he doesn't know and this is pure innocence? And that is even more more chilling. It's like, no, he, spe- he specifically does make... I mean, he makes no, it clear that make, it's a sexual thing. He does thing. make it. He doesn't do that. But, like, think about, like, if a... Sheldon, if we're committing them to his childlike misunderstandings of basic human relationships and particularly sex, is mimicking that same thing with the understanding of like a six-year-old, then you remember that Penny, not a willing participant, <laughs> is indeed just, you know, in, in this scenario, just, just minding her own business, thinking that she's uh, eating corn. It is, it is describing... I mean, as, as is the case with all hypnotists and why they are not deserving of trust, because it's too easy these hypnotism sex assault situations can prepare themselves. We don't trust anyone with that power. But if Sheldon even, like, I, I think, I mean, I think the, the only obvious, like, reasonable interpretation is that he does know. But thinking about him not knowing spooks me even more. That he does know is so weird and out of character. That yeah, is kind it of almost, funny. It is, yeah. but it's strange. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. It's very strange for the joke to be so explicit and to, like even the mechanical motion of it. Is this is this where we find out that Sheldon isn't actually asexual? He just has like a huge hypno kink, and that's the only thing that arouses him, and that's why Amy coming on to him doesn't really make him feel anything. Yeah, I think he might be onto something. You know, and that makes sense too, because like, well, I don't know if it makes sense, but it's someone who is obviously so uptight and reserved maybe he needs that hypnosis to to let loose the let loose the beast you know like the, he's he's in fact brimming over with sexual energy that is trapped behind this incredible mind fortress that he himself has developed over decades and he needs he needs that magic touch that th- mm. count to three in a snap for him to to yeah go wild Someone on this show, you know, this is the second time actually where I think I've 
I've said, and you always shoot me down on this one, which is fine because I I'll think, try not to this time. But no, no, promises. no, no, no. You're probably right that I am uh, seeing uh, zebras where it's just horses. Someone just thought this was a funny, but this is the second time I've suspected that someone who is a writer for this show has some very deep, very kinky sexual fantasies that sometimes link into the show, usually in the form of Sheldon Cooper, because there was the episode where like. Wallowitz was like, I'm going to make Sheldon parade around in a dress. And then there was, and now we have Sheldon Cooper being like, you know, sometimes the only, you know, sometimes you can be totally mindless and just floating along. And next thing you know, you're giving oral pleasure to someone because you actually think you're a chicken. Yeah, it's, well, Kyle, I cannot shoot you down this time because like, let's say even it's not a direct translation. Let's say that there is not a one-to-one I am a writer. This is my fetish. I'm putting it on the page. Like, but I'm saying that could happen here. But let's say that I wanted to shoot you down and said that that was impossible. Fucking, there's only so many coincidences that can happen together before it's a conspiracy, man. And like the 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 number of hands that had to go through for everyone to sign off and agree that Sheldon is going to propose a hypnotism sex situation. And in case that's not clear enough to the viewer, Sheldon Cooper, the sexless character, is going to mimic dick sucking in front of Leonard. Like, that is a group full of people that is like, no, the public needs to be clear on what's happening. There is no ambiguity here. (laughs) And that, yeah, that's an intensity that I don't think is accidental. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like, so in my, I won't say that I 100% know this to be true, but my headcanon now is that somewhere in that writer's room, there was a, there's a man whose deepest, darkest fantasy is to hypnotize Jim Parsons and make him into his little sissy doll sex toy. And, you know, every, every line that he can sneak into the show that just builds up, Builds up his sense of living out that fantasy is just getting him harder and harder under the table while he's pitching his totally unrelated jokes that just I come on guys these are funny yeah Sheldon growing his hair out and fashioning them into pigtails that would be funny right and every, no one talks to him except you know he hears about himself in in hushed <laughs> conversations throughout the office about like yeah why does he always wear sweatpants. Like, why? Like, he's always the last out of the room. I just, like, we all know. He knows we know, right? I think him knowing that we know is probably part of his thing, right? God, this fucking job is so weird. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't, like, there, with with the blowjob thing out of the way, I just feel exhausted about whatever else happened in this episode. <laughs> I was just, like, as soon as that joke like that's that was like all caps in my notes like only thing i could want to talk about we got there kyle anything else in this episode that you would like to go through well you did you did sort of uh you made a very strong case for why leonard is contemptible in this episode but i did strongly relate to him in one way which i know you must you relate to him too because we've both had these experiences which is alex the assistant is coming on to him as explicitly and as strongly as a woman could, short of, like, physically mounting him uh, from across the table. She's very wide-eyed and eager. And he is, you know, this has happened to Sheldon before on this show, and, you know, we we let it go because he's asexual. But we don't, you know, 
it is the only uh, excuse Leonard has is he is just a normal nerd. And even normal nerds who are not weird, borderline asexual creatures just do not know when women are, are coming on to them. And that is something that I can relate to. Kyle, uh, 100%. I'm, and I may have mentioned this, like, on a real early oversharing story, but, like, one time, like, I was on a date with this lady who I was, like, very, very much into, but because it wasn't, like, explicitly a date, I was like, ah, this is a friend thing. There's no, there's no dating here. And so, at the end of this, you know, date, if that's what you want to call it, I won't feel any shame to take a call to hear that the last copy of Professor Layton on the DS is being held for me and say, whoop, gotta go, and then never hear from her again. <laughs> it's like, what yeah. happened to my hamburger buddy? My hamburger buddy doesn't like video games? Is that what just happened? We had hamburgers. So that's why she was the hamburger buddy. But <laughs> No, I had the – so I don't like I don't do the oversharing life stories things most of the time, but I had it. I'm getting better. So I had an experience this week where I was in a bar – at a social mixer for various people and an incredibly attractive woman came and sat next to me and basically talked only to me for like an hour and we had like an incredible conversation and at the end of that conversation I was like you're so nice this has been so fun hope you come to another one of these so that we can hang out again sometime yeah and just walked out and the main and you know, a sign of, I guess, personal growth or life experience or something is that about halfway to the car, it clicked. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I turned around and I ran back in and I managed to get that person's contact information. But like they explicitly were like, no, I just thought I said something deeply offensive. I don't know what it was. But like one second we were we were off. I was obviously flirting with you and you were like, I have to go now. And I was like, oh, God, what did I say? So on the one hand, I guess that could be a power move if you could do it deliberately. But that was not my intention. I am just thick. Well, you got the best of both worlds there because you, yes. <laughs> you got this in a way signal that maybe she needs to lay it on thick and at the same time that you're still down. So, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I, I think I would also fall into that category. But anyway. always double check. That's that's basically the one thing. If you think, ah, oh, this person is super friendly, just always double check well, actually, in the in the least creepy way that you can. I think I stretched it in the opposite direction recently, and not in a creepy way at all, but, like, I uh, I was out uh, just going for a walk in the midday sun, uh, uh, a health moving my fat fucking body walk, and uh, it was real hot, and I was like, whew, time to stop this walk, I'll go to the gas station, I'll get a refreshing icy beverage, who doth appear but a, a friend who I can never tell whether she's interested in me. And I talk with her for a while, and I am, like, trying my hardest to be unattractive, where I'm like, hey, I know we're both thinking it. I have to acknowledge it. I'm the sweatiest I've ever been in my life, and it's disgusting. I was outside. It's hot. Let's move past it. And she's like, yeah, some of you are sweaty. I'm like, yeah, this is the thing I do is I tell people how sweaty I am in the middle of the conversation. Okay. And in spite of all that, she was still like, hey, we should hang out sometime. Text me. And I did, and I got nothing. And I'm imagining this was the nicest way to get away from the sweaty man. And I'm not, I, I feel like even my charm was not enough to get through how disgusting I must have appeared. 
or I misread something. I don't know. I'm I'm hung up on it, Kyle. Obviously. <laughs> yes. So. I mean, I think you did the right thing. I also I also know how you get when you've worked up a sweat, and it is it is a sight to behold. You 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 are a damp damp. You are basically like you tr- you are like. A, do you know who Swamp Thing is? Well, I do. Yeah, and it's like I would grab him to sop myself off. Yeah, like that's. <laughs> Well, you know, now that Kyle and I agree that I'm the sweatiest goddamn man on earth. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think women mind sweaty men as a general Kyle, rule. it freaks me out because apparently they fucking don't. You know who does mind sweaty men? Me. You know who doesn't like feeling like I've got that I just escaped being gelatinized by a slime monster? I don't like that feeling. <laughs> Yet everyone else is like, mm, yeah, bodies glisten, don't they? And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm glistening. Like, I, I feel like I'm going to fucking seep through the floorboards. Don't talk to me. <laughs> like, it's, uh, summer. It's such a fucking mixed bag. But anyway... Let's let's talk about other things. Let's talk about things we actually enjoy uh, on our, our recommendation of the bye week. And Kyle, I got I, I did come up with a recommendation, but I also I'm gonna I have to fucking bring up an anti recommendation and then all right, um, hit hit me with both. I'm curious where this is going. All right, I'm gonna keep my anti recommendation short because this is the positivity portion of the podcast. You know, we try to cancel out what we usually don't like about the main episode, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. I think it was on the last episode that I re-recommended Hollow Knight as being really, I think, uh, like the number one now. You did. You got me. You got me to restart playing it, and once again, I got to a certain point in the game, and (laughs) you know, I got to a frustrating room with a frustrating boss. I was like, "Fuck this game." Yeah, that's what it does. And then either you know you you beat your head against the wall till it cracks, or you leave it alone and come back to it. Which I'm also now. Just like a day or two ago, starting my my third or fourth run of Bloodborne, because that's a game, too, that I can't stop going back to. But that's not the recommendation, or the anti-recommendation, but, like, playing Hollow Knight and thinking of Metroidvanias, like, I bought Metroid Dread, I think I pre-ordered it, started playing it the night it came out. Now, now Nick, I don't normally cut you off, but since this is a negative thing, and also because you have memory issues i have to tell you you did also spend a significant portion of your hollow knight review last week talking about how much you liked it more than metroid dread and how much metroid dread sucked in comparison well so So that's where you were going with this no it's i'm aware but kyle kyle i can't believe how fucking much i hate that game (laughs) it's like i i was uh so i finished hollow knight and i'm like it is time to revisit Metroid Red. Like, and I was thinking, Hollow Knight is so good, but Metroid Dread is a different game, and I need to, like, re-explore it. And I was going through, and I was like, this is going to be a real good example about how a game, necessarily not for me, can still be a good game. I play it more and more, and I'm like, no, I, like, hate a lot of this. And... Like I said, I was going to be brief because this isn't supposed to be the negativity portion, but like it's not a Metroidvania game to me, and that like it's not about exploration. I feel like you really are moving forward just because you're told you're supposed to. Like the environments aren't interesting. There's never anything I saw in any part of the map because I did. I since our last I, I played through it, and then I played through most of it again on hard mode. Which, by the way. I, the hard mode in this game 
is the shittiest, laziest hard mode where they're like, what if we change literally nothing except we up the damage by, like, five times? And so bosses can now kill you in two hits. Like, yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's And it's so action-heavy, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I really don't think of Metroidvanias as action games. And this game, and I know I've complained about this before, has a parry mechanic, which should be fun, but it is essentially mandatory, and because... It's the cost benefit of using it versus like any other attack is absurd. Like you can fight a regular old schmegular enemy that you have to pump 20 missiles into and it's a pain in the ass. Or you wait half a second for it to attack you, parry the big obvious flashing light and kill it in one hit. And so it bums me out. It bums me out because Metroid really is something that was like a, a, a formational gaming experience for me and really has like... It, it's 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 framed the way I look at a lot of video games to this day. And, like, look at the early Metroid games as something that were so important. And to look at the most recent one as an example of how almost anyone is doing Metroid better than Nintendo right now is a bummer. So, yeah. Now, as for something to actually recommend... Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, wait. Metroid Dread? More like... More like Metroid... Dreadful. Oh, oh, God, it sucks. Um, anyway, but my actual recommendation, which I did not expect to recommend, uh, but I ended up loving it, and, oh, I'm just gonna say, there's a new Beavis and Butthead movie out, Beavis and Butthead do the universe, and there was, like, ten minutes into the episode, or not, not, episode, it feels like an episode, it's a movie, but ten minutes into it, where, um, god, it's, the Beavis and Butthead, for anyone who doesn't already know, are... These two incredibly stupid teenage metalhead loser no-gooders from a controversial cartoon in the early 90s. And I have no idea why this movie has been released now. But there's a joke early on that the only way it makes sense is for both characters involved to be unbelievably stupid, like, in a way that, like, defies reality. But, like, the show always has and still does accept that that is who the characters are, that none of it is supposed to be believable, and it's great. It's, um... I I don't want to, like, say a lot about it, because, like, so many of the jokes, like, whether you like it or not, are callbacks... But that they're not just, like, reference callbacks. It's not like, hey, remember this from the original series. It's, like, character traits that are expanded upon and, like, used well. It's not like they just found a, an old box in the attic that said Beavis and Butthead and reorganized it into a movie. Like, and I, I didn't look up who wrote it. I imagine it has to be Mike Judge because, like, I don't... It Beavis feels but- a lot like the original Beavis and Butthead. So much, Yeah. Like, my only real criticism of the movie is not anything to do with the humor. Like, the humor doesn't always work, but, like, it hasn't always always worked. Like, it's still... I, I laughed oh, so much of this movie over and over and over again. The animation is weird. And I think that's just because when this originally came out, it was, like... You know, it was, like, decent looking, but it's supposed to... It was supposed to look kind of homemade. It was never supposed to look glossy. And it really is glossed up in the movie. And also to a certain degree intentionally animation like styles between even different characters even characters on the same screen don't match up and that's used like to limited comet effect like 
the fact that Beavis and Butthead, for no good reason, seem to have skulls approximately five times larger than any other human in the movie does come up. Yeah, and it's just it's it was such a nice surprise. It's something that like there's no reason for it to exist. Beavis and Butthead to me is something I grew up on, and it's something I'm almost kind of ashamed of liking because it is it's dumb. It's super dumb. But I've been like rewatching old clips that have shown up on YouTube, and I'm always surprised by how the jokes still make me laugh. And in watching this movie, it's it was so refreshing. It was so nice to see something that ostensibly is going back to the old nostalgia bin to prey on people in my age group. But like it really has it's like I I dare say it's like a good movie. Like it's a really good comedy. Like, however low your expectations for a Beavis and Butthead movie might be, like, if you accept that you're going to be watching an hour and a half of what are essentially jokes about farts and, and idiocy, it is some of the best jokes about farts and idiocy I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, it was a total surprise. Didn't expect to like it and ended up loving it. Uh, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. <laughs> Kyle, uh, I went for fucking ever please either take, take as much time as you like or wrap it up or do whatever you want it's your turn uh, yeah no that was fine uh i will recommend uh well i was uh, sorry i just i had a last minute hesitation like which of these two things but i'm gonna stick with my original recommendation because uh, i don't feel like trying to link together two completely unrelated things that don't actually have anything in common so uh i will recommend um a movie i got a chance to see on shutter called Mad God. I okay. I'm glued in now because this is one of those I'm probably supposed to watch this movie movies, and if you're recommending it, I feel much more positive about it. Well, actually, I mean, so I will say this: it is a hard watch, <laughs> but that it is it is just so impressive that it's hard to like. Like it's just one. It's like a. I mean, it's a it's a tentative recommendation. I. I enjoyed it. I also found it hard to follow. I th- I think it's one of those movies that basically I've watched it once and I'm going to rewatch it a couple more times over the off- upcoming year mm. to try to figure out exactly how I feel about it and where to place it. But it is just objectively an interesting movie to watch. But, uh, you know, interesting may not be the same thing as good. Well, th- so the way you're trying to describe it, I, I think I'm remembering more about what what else I'd heard about it, which is that. It, if it's the movie I'm thinking of, it has less of a narrative than it does a series of striking and sometimes viscerally Disturbing, upsetting yeah. Yeah, vignettes. Um, yes, that's correct. I mean, there is, I think, supposed to be some overall like continuity of the story, but what that is would be very hard. It's much like a David Lynch film. I mean, that's, you know, you, we talk, you talked about Eraserhead mm-hmm. a while ago. It's like, I'm pretty sure that you can watch the whole movie and, and make multiple valid interpretations as to what it means. And some of those interpretations are going to be more accurate than others. But to say definitively, like, unless the guy who made it comes out and says, uh, this is what this means and this is what this means, then it's always going to be a little... I do look forward, basically, what I'm saying is to the YouTube essays, like, dissecting this movie and being like, this part represents this, but mm. you didn't figure that out, because that's always fun. But I should explain what this movie is. So Mad God is a film that has been in the works for, like, 25 years or something like that by a guy named Phil Tippett. So I will not 
pretend that I knew who Phil Tippett was before this movie came out. But he is um, sort of a modern stop motion uh, puppet pioneer. So he, you know, he worked going backwards. He worked on the original dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Uh, He worked before that. On like um, on ro- the first RoboCop movie, so you, Nick, you're a RoboCop dude. What's the big funny robot that falls down the stairs in that movie? ED two hundred nine. ED two hundred nine. So he created ED two hundred nine and did the graphics for that. Uh, he created uh, a lot of the stuff in Star Wars, particularly in The Empire Strikes Back, with like the Tauntauns and the Walkers. Uh, although actually, the scene that most is probably in vain with this movie is he did the scene in the first Star Wars where they play the fucked up game that's sort of chess but with monsters, and they're beating the shit out of each other. Is it the little claymation one? I think, or yes, yeah, yeah, that was also him. Nice. Um, so he is a he is a master of a form of stop motion that he that is so good that it doesn't really look like stop motion anymore. It looks like just little clay figurines that are somehow working completely come to life. Um, and he is a master of his craft and a wealth, you know, that I, as far as, you know, looking at the movies that I now know he all did and the effects they all did, I'm like, oh, this guy obviously is a genius. And then this movie represents his unbridled, like, passion project, id come to life. And it is, like I said, it doesn't have a particular story, but it does have, like, a through line, which is, like, basically there's a little you're it's some kind of post-apocalyptic world i'm not saying it's our world but it's a post-apocalyptic uh hyper-industrialized world where everything is super messed up and um violent and militarized and through this landscape lowered down from a, from a, like a, a safe compound on high is this little like doll soldier who is just like traversing this landscape and try and trying to accomplish a quest. So it's basically like your classic, like trippy quest narrative, but yeah, it's so much less about like what he is actually like what his journey means or what his goals are than it is about like just all the incredibly random places and sites and scenes that he passes along the way like which two one are like fascinating and crazy and very violent and raw and disturbing like within the first two seconds of like the movie there's a scene where like um there's a man with no legs who lives in like a pot or a drain who like throws out like bait to catch like this like little monster that's scampering around in the refuse and when he bites on he drags in the hole and he starts eating it and you're like oh that's weird but what's even weirder is like the noise that they make attracts like this big ogre thing that just walks by and picks up like his whole like little house and like reaches inside and like eats him you know and the thing he's just caught too and so that's the the whole movie i mean i'm not saying there's not a the the thematic through line here is like this is a this is a world defined by awful sort of darwinian urges and greed and ugliness like this is a world that reflects all of our like worst deepest desires to like you know exploit each other and dominate each other and uh you know all of the capitalist excess and the fascist excess of our of our culture just magnified through crazy puppets but it does it culminates in a scene that uh i won't go into too much but there is a like a 
10 minute vivisection in the middle of this movie where where someone is just taken apart and mm. uh and you're that like wow for me <laughs> you're like wow this is a, i mean he's a doll person so or i mean i mean it's, he's a puppet so that makes it a little bit easier but not as much as you would think so i'm not doing a very good job of record i guess like i watched this movie and i was like it sticks with you is I guess what I'm saying is it's like if you want to watch a movie that you know you're going to think about like for the rest of your life and wondering what the fuck was going on with that, then I heartily recommend that you watch Mad God. If you uh, are someone who doesn't want weird images burned into your brain for the rest of time, then maybe avoid it and definitely do not, no matter what someone tells you, get super high or super tripped out and then watch it because this is not a movie I think that will reward you for that. I think this is a movie that will steal your soul straight through your eyeballs for that shit. Well, I can't fully endorse Kyle uh, because I haven't seen the movie. His... um admonishment against using drugs while watching this movie but i think let this be noted as the first time you're gonna get an anti-drug message on on this show so take that seriously if you want to watch this movie <laughs> well thank I mean, you it really Kyle. is it's it's fascinating because like every every background like every there's so much personality in like every little like piece of everything that's going on on the screen so for that reason alone you're like Oh holy shit! This is incredible. Yeah. But then it's just like the overall sense is just perpetual dread and awfulness. Well, and you remind me of two things. One you already brought up, which is you know David Lynch and Eraserhead, and then the other is um, something I was thinking about when I was still in a mood where I was trying to figure out how to recommend Metroid Dread. That's like when I started playing it again earlier this week. That was the goal was like to try to find positives. And the one I was thinking of is that. It is a popcorn, like, video game. Like, you know, I, I think video games are a medium that doesn't get treated very seriously, like, for a lot of good reason. But there, there is a range of, like, meaningful experience you can have in them, like with, like, with films. And, yeah, Metroid Dread, I think, is one of those games you can play, and it's not going to have an impact on you, even if it's an enjoyable enough experience, where on the opposite end, you know, like, miserable games, like the Souls games, or in the film area like with mad god i think it's it's hard sometimes especially for people who like don't watch a lot of movies and i don't know if this is what you were trying to articulate but i'm gonna put it in there is that sometimes the unpleasant experiences are very much worth having that like yeah not not necessarily liking or enjoying a movie doesn't mean it's not worth seeing yeah i think about this it's like some of the most definitive experiences that i ever have of films are films that I like, like found my parents or like my older brother watching, like at, you know, like at 2 p.m., like 2 a.m., you know, I would wake up uh, in the middle of the night and I'd be wandering around the house and someone would be up watching like something random that was on HBO at two in the morning. And, you know, there would be a period of years after that where I would think that I had hallucinated that whole movie because there was no fucking way any actual movie could be as weird as my child brain remembered it. And then years later, you find out, oh, no, that was a real, like, killer clowns from outer space. That Mm. just exists. It's out there. I I Um, had the same thing with the movie Life Force. I had mere, like, fractions of images from childhood. And I was like... This must have been some sort of weird nightmare I had. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. That was it. Oh, was, yeah. I mean... No, it's... Yeah, like, the movies that are, are yeah, as a kid, maybe too difficult to process. <laughs> Just because you don't have even the appreciation of the world to contextualize whatever the fuck you're seeing. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so it's, it is kind of fun as an adult to watch movies that can make you feel that way still. Yes. Well, and I, I think it, it's important because... Excuse me, because as an adult... Uh, it's a it's a rarer and rarer experience, and uh, something it, it was a just like two or three lines in the French Dispatch, and I, I I think I mentioned that on the podcast. That's a movie that I fucking hated. Like I am not an anti Wes Anderson guy, but that one that's one where I was like Wes Anderson, someone needs to put a leash on you. That said, there is um, a plot where someone in the movie tastes something he's a cook he tastes something that he's never tasted before and it's not even something necessarily good but he's just so overwhelmed by having tasted a new taste and i think like yeah if you watch a lot of movies you have the same thing that happens where you're not just watching because you want something that's fun or something that you know is going to be good but you want like a new experience uh, and sometimes it's it's upsetting <laughs> on that note we should wrap up, and next two weeks from now, we can talk about something that probably won't make you question life or your own beliefs or anything. <laughs> we'll see. Next week, I'll, I'll prize will be a comic book or something self-serve. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll recommend Bloodborne again since I can't stop playing that game. Yeah, have oh. you heard about this game Stardew Valley? It's very soothing. Oh God, it's. I, 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 no, I, don't. It was just a joke. You don't no, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, and I, I'm with you. Everyone, play Stardew Valley. Goodbye. <laughs>